Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Don't Fuck It Up. I have a very special guest this week. We had just celebrated Belfast Pride here in Belfast the past weekend, and I thought now is the time to hear some more stories from our local queens from Belfast. So today, I have the one, the only, Miss Anya Bex as our guest. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I am, I am feeling exquisite to be in your company today. Positively <laughs> Thank you <very> exquisite. Much. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask, how are you? I am feeling, not going to lie to you, I'm feeling a wee bit precious today because I met up with Cherry on top last night and Portia and uh, Laura, the DJ Maverick. Uh, we may have had a few glass of Prosecco <laughs> and white wine and... I may be feeling my age at the moment. I feel <laughs> all 30 years I've been on this planet. Every moment. <laughs> so what we do with all our guests is try and go right the way back before drag all happened, before you even probably discovered mm-hmm. drag, um, right back to growing up. So how was that experience growing up as a member of the LGBT community for you? Well, I suppose I was a member because I suppose we're always members because you're, you are born gay, as mm-hmm. we are. But uh, for me, growing up, it was a very weird experience because I'm not from Belfast originally. I'm actually from a small town called Craigavon, mm-hmm. which is in County Armagh. So growing up back then, the idea of gay was still very taboo. And I think I kind of discovered my sexuality about the age of 12, 13. Mm-hmm. But it took me until I was about 18 years old to actually come out to anyone, to actually tell anyone, because... I used to have this whole fear of if I'm gay, I'm going to hell. If I'm gay, my family won't love me. Mm-hmm. Which is actually the complete opposite. My family were extremely accepting. But Amazing. it goes to show that it goes to show how a society can drop seeds to give you this idea mm-hmm. that you are wrong to be gay and that you automatically think your family will abandon you, even though in some cases, most cases actually in the, in the present day, they, they won't. So go to show how, at some level, you're almost brainwashed and they're thinking it's wrong to begin. Yeah. You mentioned they're coming out, and obviously that's a massive part of everyone's kind of queer experience growing up. How was that moment mm-hmm. for you, and how did you feel having to to tell maybe your parents or your friends that you're gay when it shouldn't be something you have to tell someone? Yeah. It felt like it's down weight. It felt like I could never be happy because. <clears throat> I, I actually, well, I do suffer for, from it, but I'm diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. So in my autistic head, sometimes things with society and is, isn't very black and white sometimes. So I was convinced the world would hate me. I hated myself. I hated, I refused to listen to any music whatsoever because I was convinced if somebody heard me listen to even so much as a tiny bit of a song, even a Kylie song or ABBA, they would know I'm gay. Mm-hmm. I refused to have a style of clothing. So I kept all my clothing choice, just baggy track bottoms, baggy tops, because if I have a fashion choice, I'm gay. You know, that's our sort of mindset. I tried to not really have a laugh, because if I show a camp helmet, then they're going to know I'm gay. So, so literally, I think for about seven, eight years, I kept that up until finally... It got too much for me, and I was on the verge of breaking down or doing something silly. So I actually messaged my sister on Bebo. Now, for anybody watching, Bebo is basically, <laughs> uh, let's just call it 
the first evolution of Facebook. Mm. <laughs> so I my, I private messaged my sister on Bebo and I, have, I just sent the message that, you know, I have something to tell you. I know I've been off lately because my family were very worried about me. They were panicking. They were convinced I was going to kill myself or something, which to be fair, if I didn't come out when I did, I probably would have went down that path. Luckily, I didn't. But um, so I messaged my sister on Bebo. I told her, this is what's wrong with me. I'm gay. And then I literally sat there watching the screen, wait, wait, like waiting for her to <laughs> reply. Had again, expecting the worst because from I, I found it too hard being like, I don't know if it's the autism or whatever, but I just found it too hard to send person to someone. So I find it easier having people there to message someone to be like, okay, this year takes this thing off a wee bit. Yeah. So I literally watched the masses and then my sister replied with, okay, is that it really? You know, <laughs> I thought it was the worst. So then, so then I told my sister, I'm not ready to become a mum yet, but Samasa being Samasa, and she did it with full good intentions because she, she knew my mum and she knew my mum would occur. That during night, she came home and asked me to come to mum's room and then said, okay, mum seemed as gay. And I was like, <laughs> but, although that's a situation where I think it actually worked out well because Samantha knows me and especially me back then I wasn't the person I am today mm. I was a lot more like I would spend all my time in my bedroom playing, playing video games and would never really have talked to anyone I didn't have a lot of friends growing up because so, I just I struggled with society in general so my sister mm. knew what I was like so I think that was her way of trying to help me if you know what I mean, by, yeah. like to, by telling my mum. And then my mum accepted me. She found it hard the first few days, which I suppose most parents do, because again, society has taught us being gay is wrong, being gay will lead to AIDS, being gay will lead to abandonment, people throwing bricks at you. But after like a day or two, she was grand. So she was, she oh, was never bitter and she was never vicious about it. She was just worried about my safety. But she, she was grand then. Amazing. So I don't know whether you like talking about that because you did mention potential that you had suicidal thoughts going through your head at mm-hmm. that time. Was there specific reasons for that? Was there like kind of bullying in school or was it just society in general? Oh, I think it was a mixture of multiple things because being someone autistic, I, I, find it, I find it very hard to talk to anyone. I find it very hard to express myself. Most people would have thought I was weird. I would have had lunch alone during lunch mm-hmm. time, stuff like that there. So I was bullied in school. I didn't really have that many friends. I had one or two friends, like, but, you know, looking back, it's probably just just um, me in the background just trying to fit in. <laughs> but, um, no, I, just, I think I was just getting to the point of breaking down because I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. Where now, being the age of 30, my mindset has changed mostly. I still struggle financially, but I'm, I'm better at coping with it. I'm better at, as, as a friend of my Porsche would say, teeth and tips. I'm very <laughs> good at putting on the show. I know yeah. how to act around people a lot more, and I know how to talk to people now a lot more. So, And I do have a lot more friends now, so <laughs> it's actually worth it. <laughs> and when you actually came out, were you still in school, or was that something you did after you had left? I was in college, SRC, I was doing like a catering hospitality course. I know, I, I used to be a chef. For like really? <laughs> uh-huh. So we went from chef to drag. <laughs> I, well, actually, it wasn't straight away. I went from uh, four years as a chef. I worked in the coaching. Uh, I think I worked in the famous, someplace called the famous Christ for a while. 
in Armagh or something. Oh. And then I was a supervisor in birthday. So I went from catering to retail because I hated I hate kitchens. They were mm-hmm. too noisy and loud and people were screaming and you had to work late hours. Like sometimes I would do it like I was working till like 11 or 12 at night. And mm-hmm. this, was, this was just after I came out as being gay. And once you come out and you get a positive response, you kind of get this weight lifted off you where you want to just go out and sort of like, you know, be yourself. And yeah. I think, I think that's why in our society, you kind of find with the younger group, the younger generation coming up behind us, um, here me, the younger generation. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's why whenever somebody comes out for the first time, they do have their first few years of being, um, I suppose the words, over the top, you know, very expressive, very mm-hmm. in your face, I suppose, the term, but I don't know if it's the term I would want to use because I don't think anybody's trying to be in your face. I think it's because they've oppressed themselves for so long. It's a bit like you putting your hand, unless your hand's made of stone, on top of a, on top of a erupting volcano, pushing it down until it finally just explodes all over the place. Yeah. You know, so I think it's the case whenever somebody just comes out, there's an explosion of the personality that was that was almost concealed away. So yeah. you kind of get that person times a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you can sort of get where I'm coming from. Oh, 100%. 100%. Can, it, yeah. it, it, like you says, it's a repression of not being able to show who you truly are and enjoy yourself in the mm-hmm. way that you should do. And that's, I think, why younger people, if they're coming out at 15, 16, 17, they try and give you all that energy in one go and then it kind of it, well obviously the longer they're in the community they'll die down because they'll realize that it's not yeah, yeah. it's not that energy is not needed all the time to be like accepted yeah. it's a fantastic energy and it's it's a pity that we as a society still have to express ourselves with that energy it's a pity that we have to go through the process so mm-hmm. like granted it's nowhere near as bad as it was back in 2009 or back in 1999. But it's a pity that we still get it today where people have to repress themselves to fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sad that somebody gay, trans, bi, or lesbian, or even straight, depending on the situation, ever has to feel they have to repress themselves to fit in. I always, yeah. I always think that's like a real pity. I agree. You know, because you're missing out on so much mm-hmm. of, of what a person can offer by forcing someone to repress. So at what point of your life did you discover drag for the first time? I discovered drag, let's see, after it came out, I joined a small group, it was called Gledi, so it was, I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't. I think it's run by Cara Friend. So I joined that wee group, basically for young gay people, from the ages 13 to 21. Although I think it's called something else now. I'm not too sure. I haven't been there for like 10 years. So forgive me <laughs> if I'm a bit rusty. Rusty hinges. <laughs> um, but I joined that group and then it sort of helped me ease myself because I went from someone who was very nervous, very timid, not used to socialize with people. So it helped to ease me into the, the queer community because mm-hmm. I got to see my first ever drag queen. I saw with Teddy Von Trapp who... The second I saw her, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. People do this here. This is phenomenal. But I don't think the seeds for starting drag were planted straight away because 
Now, the seeds of the base sugar were planted, mm-hmm. but it didn't automatically link to dry because I didn't make that connection yet. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to perform. I wanted to do something in that area. Mm-hmm. I was starting to grow up beside me. I was, I just came out. I wanted to do something amazing. I just started liking Kylie Minogue because I said beforehand, I refused to listen to music. Mm-hmm. So that Christmas after it came out, my sister actually got me my first ever album, which was the Kylie Axe album. And because that was my first ever album I ever got, that's why Kylie is like my number one icon. That's why I'm such a big Kylie fan because she was my first proper introduction into music. So, was. so after seeing loads of Kylie stuff and Madonna as well and all the rest, um, I had it in my head, I want to be on stage, I want these shoes. Now, unfortunately, I can't sing for shite. So, <laughs> so, so basically, after that there, after I saw Titty, uh, there was a residential trip with Glenny. So I decided for a gig, I dressed up as Kylie Minogue and I did like a one-off performance. I literally had the, would you know like the pie shop? You get the really cheap foundation. Yeah. So I had that foundation on. <laughs> <laughs> I had the white outfit, but I had like a wee bit of like small, sweet bit of red lips here. No <laughs> eyeshadows, no lashes, no blusher, no contour highlight, literally foundation and a bit of lipstick. And I was like, that's me done now. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out there. I did my first ever drag number on the Good Eat Residential, which is like I could turn my head. And it was a gag, actually. If, if, if everyone had a laugh, I had a laugh with it. And then I think it was until 2012, I got asked to enter this competition called Lurgan Drag Wars. Mm-hmm. I know Lurgan had a drag, had a drag competition. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> but um, now I wasn't doing drag at this stage. I did drag as one off. And on the residential, but that wasn't mm. meant to be anything bigger. So I did the competition because I knew I did performing arts because I did. I went to performing arts college at the stage, and I kind of get I'm a bit by the bug. I came second place in the competition, and after their answer is Trudy's Drag Race. I I'm, I'm assuming you know Trudy's Drag Race, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But well, basically, for anyone watching Trudy's Drag Race, it's uh, run by Trudy Scrumptious. It's a Five week competition was eliminations, and I managed to get the week three. But after being exposed to the culture of drag and also seeing more of the queer culture of Belfast, like I was just a wee country bumpkin beforehand, and like <laughs> seeing all this here just made my eyes go pop. Like I was seeing stars. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. I want to do this here. And eight years later, I have toured the country. I have worked with Kelly Minogue and Alan Carr, and I am sitting right here in my kitchen. so from Trudy's Drag Race obviously that's when you say you got bit by the bug and that's when you wanted to kind of Mm -hmm. continue this as a career so what was your steps and your process from from that competition how did you get to where you are now um I think it was my mindset always being you put in the hard work you know you put in the work to get something back what you put Mm -hmm. in is what you get out so I would have done especially in the early years, I would have done a lot of guest spots. I would have asked people, can I perform at your show? I would have literally performed in a barn. I love the way I'm like, I would have. I probably would have done <laughs> maths or head. Uh, like, I would have traveled to Daria stuff, the shows there sometimes. And even though the pair of shit, but I would love it anyway. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. I feel like a, I feel like a showgirl. I feel like I'm on tour. I feel like a star. Over the years, I started... Um, taking more, I suppose the word is, pride and curve of my drag. 
Mm-hmm. I started to care more about how Anya looked, how Anya's character should be. Because whenever you start, you have a rough idea of what you want, but yeah. you don't really know what you want until you've tested the waters and swam a wee bit and you got to feel your situation. So I think for me, I find what's been my biggest uh, benefit is I'm patient and that I'm a hard worker and that I'm willing to put in the time to get something done. Mm-hmm. So over the eight years, I went to a makeup course with Belfast Matt to help improve my own drag makeup. Mm-hmm. I took sewing lessons so I could make my own outfits. I, I did random gigs up and down Ireland. And after they saw me, they liked what they saw and asked me back again. And okay. only whenever I got asked back again, I got a bigger payment from it. And then I started getting paid a lot more so that for what I was doing because I was putting in more work into yeah. my performances putting more work into me as Audio Backs, the character, and creating this here business, I suppose, the, the right term for it. Yeah. And whenever people were seeing the progression, I think it helped people realize that she's serious. Mm-hmm. She wants this, which I did, and I still do, you know. I yeah. right. And I'm so, guessing Kylie was a massive inspiration for you once you started. Yeah. But how did you come up with the name and the persona that you created for Anya? Well, the persona of on your backs i'll start with the name actually that's a quicker story so back in learning drag wars mm-hmm. uh, i was stuck for a name originally i was going to call myself avon ax toy which basically means i want a sex toy <laughs> and it was like uh, i was like i don't know if that'd be family friendly because in my head i was like you know i need to consider commercialism i need to consider mm-hmm. if my name was gonna be appropriate for like family events and stuff yeah you know or if i want something more adult uh, so basically I was talking to another drag queen called We Had a Crush who used to run Slush in Union Street and she offered the name On Your Backs and I was like oh that's cute yeah I'll go with that there so the On Your Backs name isn't overly interesting it was just literally a pun for On Your Back it was only later years I added the <coughs> that's not COVID-19 by the way <laughs> <laughs> um, it's only later years I added the Missy which is short for mistress, which is a reference to Doctor Who, because I'm a Doctor Who nerd. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I am now, I'm now mistress on your backs. But um, the personality, the personality of was took a lot of inspiration from the likes of a mixture of like horror films, Disney, and pop icons. I sort of think on your backs personality is if Ursula Seawitch, a bad Midler, and Kylie Minogue had a one night stand. <laughs> on That's a good mix. The, on your backs would be the offspring. You know, that, that you get the hard cupness of Ursula Seawitch, you get the, the sharp tongue of Bad Midler, and then you get the showgirl Assens of Kylie. So it's Indeed. a nicely mixed, right? Yeah. I, I just felt definitely it create a nice brand. Yeah. And for anyone that has never been to an On Your Back show or hasn't seen you perform before, what can they expect to see once they come to one of your shows? Um, a lot of costume changes. <laughs> I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of a costume change. I do take after sure. You should never be in the same costume longer than ten minutes. <laughs> I, which isn't always the case, but I, I as a personal rule in my head, I like to follow mm. in most of my shows. Not not all the time, but most of my shows I like having costume changes because I think with my crowd of audience, I'm quite fortunate. I'm like one of the few queens who work in both Maverick and Union Street bars mm-hmm. in Belfast. Uh, but then on top of there, I also have a bit of a presence outside of the LGBTQ plus scene where I would perform quite a lot. I do shows up and down the country for like straight crowds and like 
different Pride events. Oh, like amazing. last year, two thousand last year, two thousand nineteen, I did my third summer tour. Because back in two thousand seventeen, I started touring. Ireland so did, and then mm-hmm. two thousand nineteen was like my biggest one. Where I was literally hosting a performance at Drogheda, Carlo. Uh, I did something for Dublin Pride for Google, so I did. I know oh. for Google, I was like, oh my god, Google, it's amazing. <laughs> Google my timbers. So <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I d- I've done like events for like pre market and stuff, and all these corporate events, which is so crazy to think that this small timid boy who would have been terrified to leave his bedroom is run, run up and down Ireland doing shows for like mm-hmm. 2,000 people. It's actually funny because if it wasn't for the Carlo Pride gig, I would never have got the gig with Carrie Minogue and Alan Carr because at the Carlo Pride gig, I sang live a wee bit. Now I can't sing live for a sh- I can't sing for shout. But I'll sing for a gig. I'll sing for mm-hmm. like, like in a way to get the crowd singing with me. And because I, I, th- I think it's a nice way to connect with the yeah. audience whenever you sing. And if I could sing, I probably wouldn't lip sync as much. <laughs> but um, but I sang uh, a bit of I Can't Get You Out of My Head to Carlo Pride. There was like two over 2,000 people there. They were singing it back, you know, and mm-hmm. it was amazing. Someone recorded it. There's somebody from the BBC saw it and approached me and said, oh, are you, are you a Kylie fan? You know, which I obviously am. And then asked me, would I be interested in appearing in the Kylie Minogue Christmas special she had on last year? Yes. So, so that's what kind of led to that there. So, to anybody watching Starting and Drag, never, never, like, well, you can turn down some gigs, but, you know, you, you never know who's watching mm-hmm. something. So it's always good to sort of, like, keep your game face on and yep. make sure you look professional and approachable. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy, like, you know. It, it's amazing hearing stories like that because the first time I ever saw you performing was Trudy's Drag Race and then when you used to host in El Divino, in Belfast. Oh yes! So that's the first time her, uh, uh, from Teddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I, I was there like like Teddy's uh, her second retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing the growth from back then to now is is amazing to see. You know, I, I actually love it too. Like I have some friends who remove all their old drag photographs, but I'm like, no, keep them up. I think I I, I love occasionally. Whenever they appear in my timeline, and I'm like, mm. I used to, I, I used to have my brows like this, <laughs> <laughs> or I used to, I used to think my cottage should go here, <laughs> just right under the so, eye, <laughs> just, just right under the eye. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you think your drag has changed and progressed from back then to now? Like in terms of makeup, costume, and everything. I think because I was very fortunate to be around very creative people. I was very fortunate to work with the likes of Porsche. Who I work with quite lots of mm-hmm. with hijinks and stuff. And then we've also done a few prides together for different uh, up and down the country. And working with people like Miss Tasty, Scarlet, uh, Rusty, Glitzy, Sasty, who are all, and Trudy Scrubtures and stuff, and Tina. Um, because they're all such, such a, a wide variety, and I am basically like a wee sponge. So being around all these people, a part of them would have absorbed into me in a way. Mm-hmm. So although I never copied anyone, but their cells, their cells and their art forms would have influenced me because, again, before I came out, I was very much a blank canvas. I purposely avoided having too much personality because I thought it would give, give the game away. Mm-hmm. So being, a, being such a blank canvas 
and being around so, so many different colors, you can't help but absorb it in. And yeah. I think that's been a benefit to me because rather than on your backs just being a camp showgirl, I do have sides of me where I can be a sex siren, I can be a bit alternative, I can do stuff different, I can, mm. I can perform in Harlem Puff, but at the same time perform at the Cabaret Supper Club, I can work with families, but I can still do stuff with Boombox, you know? Yeah. Like, I think because I've kept a variety of people around me to influence me, it's helped me to have a broader mind and I'd see a bigger picture that you don't need to stick to one box with drag. Mm-hmm. You can have your fingers in all the pies if you want, you know? And Definitely. I think it's good too. I think it's good. Now, that's not to say if you have a sad style and a sad persona, there's nothing wrong with that there, but I personally just enjoy variety. I just, I, I, I like the fact that I can go more queer, gender bender if I want. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can go back to showgirl the next day. You know, yeah. I like that. I think that's fab. It's and great I think it's all part of being a performer. Yeah. You know, and it's fantastic for a grinder profile with versatility as well. <laughs> fantastic. Other than the Kylie and Alan Carr gig, what has been the highlight point in your career that you can say and look back on that that was amazing and it's the best point that you have done so far? Oh. You know what? I really, really enjoyed working at the Cabaret Supper Club during mm-hmm. Halloween. They, they hired me. And this is actually it was a different type of gig for me personally because anytime I'm hired to host something or do anything, I'm hired on your backs. Mm-hmm. But they hired me as Winifred Sanderson from Hocus Focus. So I come in dressed as Winifred with wedding makeup and do the whole character of Assas, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I was working with kids a lot and I had to be careful what I said because working with more adults, it's easier to let slip uh, the odd swear word where yeah. with kids. I... I had to stay in the character of Winifred. I did the whole, you know, like, just says I Smith children and all that <laughs> jazz, you know, which was fab. I adored that there. It was so much fun to actually act again because I haven't done plays or anything in years. And it was nice to get back to that there. That's something I would actually love, love to do more of, mm-hmm. you know. I would love to work in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always, you put it out into the world and it may happen. That's the way I look at life. Well, this is true. I put it on this podcast and maybe Walt Disney's ghost is watching. (laughs) So is that something that you would aspire to be as in like a character actor plus a drag queen? There's so many things I would love to inspire to be like during lockdown, I started doing the body painting. So Mm -hmm. I kind of want to do a lot more makeup stuff backstage at theaters, but I also want to be on the stage, but I also want to work at Disneyland, but I also (laughs) want to make costumes for people. But I also want to invite the cure for COVID-19. So I want to do a lot of things. <laughs> D- discussing your, your um, body painting, obviously you've been posting a lot of that on social media between Instagram and Facebook. And I've been seeing a lot of horror inspiration and the horror characters that you've been doing. Do you always take mm-hmm. inspiration from like older horror movies and stuff and use it as in your drag career or whether it be painting or makeup? I suppose I do. Like, you see it probably more so during my Halloween shows because mm-hmm. that's whenever I get to explore this, the part of horror I love because I love horror. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that moment of being afraid. Now, I shit myself if something's actually about to hurt me. <laughs> I, will totally, I will totally collapse in a pile of 
rubble on the ground in fear. But I love that moment of what's behind that corner of that film? What's mm-hmm. what's about to jump out? I like that they're afraid to do. It's a bit like being on a roller coaster. So and there's like an art form to classic horror movies, like like iconic figures like Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. I think they're phenomenal because there's so much character, there's so much depth to them. I like Jason as well, but Jason I was felt was more of a just he was sort of a clone, wasn't he? Of like yeah. Michael. He was sort of a copy of a copy by that stage. But um no, they just so and plus with horror characters themselves, there's so much detail you can get into makeup wise, there's so many different looks and different colours and you know, they're just iconic and a lot a lot of them are timeless. Mm. You know. But I, yep. I also love comic books and stuff. Okay, so what? What? Uh, how did you begin body painting and spreading? Like being able to do all these different characters was it something that you've always done? No, actually, I've I've never really done it. It's something I've always wanted to do, but I again, this is my own personal self doubt keeping me down. I never thought I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. I always thought that's an ability somebody else would do better. Yeah. I always thought maybe that's something blue hydrants would do better, so I can't do it because blue's so good at makeup. Mm-hmm. And Sabrina's good at makeup, you know. So I never thought that's a territory I would even be able to scratch into. Yeah. But then during lockdown, I literally had nothing else to do because it was lockdown. <laughs> so I did uh, a small, it was a Disney series I was doing for a while, mm-hmm. where I was recreating like Disney villains like Blavacent, the genie. And then I think I did Hades, where I drew on a bit of the, ter- the cloth here. Because I couldn't find the right outfit for it. So I was like, okay, I'll just paint it on for a gig. And I was like, "Mm, it looks well. So I tried it again with Mrs. Incredible, which I did after Hades. And then I was like, oh, that's actually not half bad. So then I decided to press myself even further. I gave myself a massive challenge. I was like, okay, I am going to try and paint myself like Michael Myers' mask and his outfit. I'm going to try it and just see what happens. So I sat there for 10 hours going to find detail with each little crease. He said a little crack of the mask. He said a little bit of age. And then at the end, I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you a scary girl. <laughs> and how so, does it feel to get so, such good feedback from people on social media for work like that? It, it feels phenomenal, so it does, because it just, it's nice to know people are enjoying the work because I put a lot of time and effort into it mm-hmm. and it's nice that people are seeing it and they're like, that's actually really good. Yeah. Or I love that character. Because it, it, it isn't just horror I do. I do like, you know, other, I did like Jessica Rabbit a few, few weeks ago as well stuff and uh, Spider-Man and Batman. Mm-hmm. Horror is my favourite one to go to, but I do enjoy doing a whole range of stuff like video games. But it's just nice to sort of like do a reference to something. I, I, I like doing obscure things. I like, mm-hmm. like doing something from Digimon, which is the biggest Pokemon. I like doing obscure things. I like doing stuff that I like because it's my way of expressing my art because without doing shows, it completely ruins my routine of my life, if you know what I mean. Like, I was doing shows maybe four nights a week. Drag was finally my full-time job Mm -hmm. after working uh, the last two years, sorry, last three years for drag, it literally became my full-time working job. Mm -hmm. It brought in the most money, which is what I aimed for. And then lockdown happened and then overnight I kind of like lost everything which yeah. everyone else did as well so it was very hard to go from this to this mm-hmm. like feel like you're in the bottom of the barrel again so I think with the body painting series 
it helped me feel relevant again. It helped me feel I'm putting something out of the universe. I'm still here. I'm still doing something. I'm keeping myself busy. And yeah, it's been fun. I, you know, I'll probably actually keep it up. I probably won't do it as much mm. because I'm starting to get some shoes again and just it's time consuming. But I'm hoping to at least have a body paint maybe once every two weeks or something up because I do really enjoy them. They're, it's, it's very like relaxing and a th- a therapeutical. Mm. And like you said, they're with lockdown ease and you're starting to be able to do shows and stuff again. How does it feel uh-huh. after so long not being like having to do drag at all and wear heels and all the, the work that goes into it to oh. doing that again? It felt amazing and painful. <laughs> like you don't realize, but when, whenever you do drag so much back to back, you really, you get used to heels. Mm-hmm. They don't bother you anymore. But I put them on on Pride Day and I was just like, oh my God, I am <laughs> not a woman today. <laughs> I am not a woman today at all. Like, my feet were killing me. My corset was, was causing me to scream in agony. But you know what? It's worth it. I love drag. And it was great to actually have on your back. Mm-hmm. Oh, on your back. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, their Pride Pride was a lot different this year in Belfast, obviously because the pandemic that's going on and we had to kind of make do with what we could as a socially distanced Pride in bars outside and in. Uh, How did it feel different compared to normal Prides for you? Obviously it's nowhere near as busy as it usually would be, but performing behind like plastic screens and not being able to go over and like kind of talk and touch people. I'm very grateful to be back in drag. And I feel, I don't want to question it too much because I don't want it to be what, for me to start complaining and be like, oh, it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. I was happy we got a pride because yeah. Limerick and Dublin stuff and other places never got a pride period. Yeah. They had to celebrate at home. So I really, really missed the period. You don't actually realize how much the period means to you whenever it's gone. Because so, I feel the period is such a major part of it. And then you come from the parade, you go in the customized square, you walk around, you see people, you get photographs, and then you head to the main stage, you know, that's part of Pride, which I love. And it was sad we didn't get to do it this year, but mm-hmm. on the bright side, like, we got something, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for all the work the bars put in. Definitely. Keeping every, everything in place, because Union Street and Maverick have done an amazing job at, you know, keeping the two meters social mm-hmm. distance and keeping the protection up. On the hand of the plastic screens, it's weird. Whenever you're on stage, you can't actually see the audience because the lights are hidden off the screen. Mm-hmm. So you can only really see a reflection of yourself and this big down light. So in my head, I'm like, are they actually enjoying this? Am I doing a good <laughs> job? Am I doing this right? And then, and then it'll be at the end of the cheer. So I'm like, oh, must have done something right? Okay, awesome. Um, so that's weird. So it is. The screens are, are weird, but mm. they're necessary until this year passes. Yeah. And it just so. means that 2021 <laughs> will be bigger than ever. Hopefully. I'm hope, hoping COVID is either more controllable, where we can have a proper pride again, or it's a thing of the past, or we found the cure for it, you know. Yeah. Hopefully, because it all depends if COVID is still the way it is today. Yeah. Because if, if we haven't discovered a cure for it, if we haven't found a way to control it better, then we're just going to have a pride we had this year, next year. So it purely depends on if 
if we can panic your improvement, mm-hmm. which um, is annoying, but hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed, because then we can have the biggest pride yeah. Belfast has ever seen because we're celebrating for two years. Making up yes, for and also we're and also um, we're, we were meant to be celebrating marriage equality this exactly. year. Exactly. Which is so, is so sad because I kind of feel because of the pandemic, you know, it got overshadowed mm-hmm. because we got back in February, I was a maverick at the time and Teddy was doing the countdown and it was just such a euphoric feel as it was whenever yeah. we were told we can get married now, they can't stop us. Mm-hmm. No one can stop us from being married. We're, we're, we're getting closer to equality. Or we're not quite there yet, but we're getting closer to having equal rights. Yeah. And I was expecting this pride to be, it was meant to be this amazing, phenomenal event with all these things on, and then COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you said, that Northern Ireland <laughs> is still, in, in a way, not fully brought around to equal rights and having same-sex marriage and all that stuff is very, very new to us. Um, how do you feel performing and growing up and being just a, a gay person in this country when we have people that are running the country that try and take our rights away from us? I feel happy that I'm in a country where I can perform, I can live mm-hmm. the most part with equality because there are countries far worse off than us. So I can't complain that much. There's people who are told point blank if you even consider holding a man's hand will be in a man you will be put away in prison or killed mm-hmm. so I'm grateful that we're not living there but it's, it's sad because and it baffles me from a business perspective why on earth would they ever oppose gay marriage because the amount of money they would make for the, the economy the amount of money they would make for for Northern Ireland from having equal marriage, you know, mm-hmm. let's face it, we as gay, we, we gays, we go all out, like, we do like a party. Oh, yeah. And um, and then whenever you see the rest of the UK catching up the dip with the world, and then Northern Ireland sort of like slumming in the background, <laughs> like this here one-legged, like this here one-legged donkey that's trying to run the, the Grand National or something, and just we're in the background, just like stumbling along. I was like, <laughs> It's like, come on, bro. Like, come on. It's like, 2020, give it the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on. <laughs> come on, Arlene. Uh, With three hours fans. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you have for someone that's just starting out in drag and they're not too sure how they want to do things or what their inspiration is going to be? What would your advice be to them to help find their character? Well, at the start off, the biggest advice I would say is try and be nice, try and avoid getting into any dramas and go do a show, say your, say thank you and then leave. Don't try to get out. Don't try and be extra for the sake of being extra unless it comes natural mm-hmm. to the situation. As for trying to find your drag character, experiment. I It's ironic, you know, um, I 100% support all types of drag. I think it's, it's all amazing. However, there's sometimes I kind of feel some of the newer queens are almost terrified mm-hmm. to touch older characters, like older characters like Liza Minnelli or Bat Midler. Like they're too focused on like Nicki Minaj or trying to do something art arty, which is amazing because drag is art. Mm-hmm. But it's ironic that whenever you live in a, a drag community and 
you as the camp queen are tactically more alternative than <laughs> the ones here in Cayman to sometimes the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's ironic. Because you're like, okay, you're, are, are you going to perform uh, S&M again for the 10th time while, <laughs> while, while you're really running the ground? Which is nothing wrong with it, but if you keep doing that one style, it just mm-hmm. shows everyone that you can't, you, you can't do anything else. Yeah. Or I'm a believer in sometimes it's fun to be really queer, sometimes it's amazing to be alternative, alternative but sometimes it's good to be camp. Sometimes it's good to be a showgirl. Sometimes it's good to be a Disney queen. Sometimes it's good to do a ballet. Sometimes it's good to just experiment in general. Like go for mm-hmm. the full field. I don't know why people feel almost intimidated to branch into the box. Yeah. Especially more so with the New York queens. Now, there are some new queens who are starting out who are fab. And I, I think they'll, they'll do well. Just It'd be nice to sort of see every once in a while, you know, maybe even a nod towards the previous generation. Yeah. Bit of versatility. You know, we all like it. Yeah. Yeah, because there's only so many times you can watch, you know, this is going to sound so shady, but I actually <laughs> love her. <laughs> um, I, I, I honestly do love her. I think she's amazing. But there's only so many times you can watch a skinny white boy undress and run around the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you referring Sorry, to? Sassy. <laughs> Sorry, Sassy. <laughs> but no, but Sassy is, Sassy is amazing. And, you know, um, She's very good at what she does, but like, it's just, it's nice sometimes to see something different. Mm-hmm. Although, have a said, they're on the subject of Sassy. She actually does do a variety of different numbers. <laughs> I just use it as an example before I get a horde of angry tweets and messages towards me. <laughs> I would like the Drag Race UK to experiment more with the different types of queens to bring in, though, because from what I've seen from the upcoming season, they're aiming for more English-based drag queens, which is fab, because mm-hmm. drag in general, I love. But it'd be nice. I don't understand why they can't do it, like, one Irish, one Welsh, one Scottish, and then have their seven English. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see why they need to do, like, nine English, one Scottish, or nine English, one Irish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. And on the topic that's, of UK drag race... I have seen your name pop up on a good few uh, rumoured lists over the years. Uh, would it be something that you would actually do, given the opportunity? Um, yeah, totally, in a heartbeat. To be given that platform, like, I am such a moan. Like, especially as, as I've gotten older, I am a giant moan. <laughs> I am a moany, moany wee bitch. But uh, with Drag Race, it's funny. There's two sides. One half... You're constantly being compared to a drag race queen, which does frustrate me because I'm my own person. I work, mm-hmm. I do my own thing. I put my own work into it. But on the other half, if you're given that platform, like you're you're able to work on a higher level. You can mm-hmm. do new type of shows. You can work with new people. You get so much more in a way. What's the word? I don't want to say given to you because you're still working for it, but. You're, I think it gives you a lot more opportunities yeah. to be on the show. And I think that's why I would want to be on the show because it would give me the opportunity to, to go to a larger platform. Mm-hmm. Although I would still probably do hijinks if I got a drag race. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with it. But I, 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 I also enjoy Belfast. Like I, I love doing the hijinks. I love doing Cabergay. I love doing the FUCK. 
mm-hmm. Friday it was rusty see the way I spelled it there in case cancer watching and then the glitzy show and stuff like I loved it all of them and I would probably still do them probably not as much if I got on the show mm-hmm. and if I if I want the show but I'd probably still do them yeah <laughs> so on your backs oh. I want to just say thank you very much for for joining me today it has been great sitting chatting with you and it's it's good to to get your story out there for people that may not exactly have heard mm-hmm. it before so thank you very much for sharing that oh thank you well thank you so much for having me and you know what if you want to know more about me just sad me we need happy <laughs> for, <Christmas>. for people <laughs> for people that do follow you uh on social media do you have your instagram or facebook handles that they can they can follow you on yes you can find me on missy on your backs on facebook or i'm on I'm on Instagram as Mistress on Your Backs. I'm also on Twitter as Mistress on Your Backs. Perfect. The Mistress of the Dawn. <laughs> Again, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, whatever you're doing. Yes, you too. All the best. Take care of yourself. You Bye. too. Bye. Bye. Where are you going? It's not over yet. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and tell us how amazing the show is. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Don't F It Up and at Kyle Divine Clark, all one word, and we will see you next week. Bye.